Welcome to Sweat the Technique, a podcast about everything we've learned founding schools and how it just might apply to the rest of our lives. And while we've had some great guests on the podcast in the past, I have to say that today is the episode I've been looking forward to most because while I usually feel a lot of admiration and appreciation for my guests, there's today a little bit more maybe uh, because my guests are two of my three children, Caden and Maya. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about them and then I'll explain to you why they're here and then I will introduce them. So Caden is 22. He is just finishing up at Hamilton College. He's a neuroscience major. And Maya is 20 and she is a student at McAllister College. And she is interestingly also a neuroscience major, interesting for a former English major like myself. And the reason they're here is because teaching is important to me. You probably know if you've seen any of the books that my team and I have written, but parenting is a hundred times more important to me. And one of the things that I say about my life studying teachers and starting schools is that even if no one had read the books that I write, I'd be grateful to have written them because observing great teachers has taught me so much about interacting and developing young people. And so hopefully I didn't mess all that up in raising my own children. But I thought it'd be interesting to have my two grown kids on to talk a little bit about parenting, both looking backwards, how they reflect on the way that my wife and I parented them and how they look forward to parenting their own children. So Caden and Maya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Super excited. Yeah, thank you. Great. So the first thing I should say is that you are two of my three children. I have a third child, Willa, who is 15, and she's not here. She's not here because she's at summer camp partly, but she's also not here because uh, my thinking was that to really understand parenting, you almost have to have gone through it and be able to look back. And Willa still lives at home with us. She's 15. She's in the middle of it. And so maybe she doesn't quite have the perspective on it that it would take to understand it fully. And so I just, I thought I'd start by asking you guys... Do you agree with that idea? Do you need a little bit of perspective to understand your parents and all the terrible things that they did to you when you're growing up? Maybe Maya, you want to start on that one and then Caden, uh, go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I think definitely. I think if I was on here a few years ago, it probably wouldn't have been exactly the same. And I think one thing that's also given me a lot of perspective is um, at work, I work with a ton of kids and seeing them and their parents has also given me a lot to compare to compared to just like my friends in high school. Interesting. Yeah, Caden? Yeah, I agree. I think you evolve a lot over those four years of high school. You probably evolve the most and you probably change the most from freshman year high school to senior year high school, in my opinion, more than you would necessarily like in college. So I think that Willa kind of just starting that evolution that high school causes for you, I think by the end of it, maybe she'll have a little bit of a better sense, but I don't think while you're in it, you would be able to. Obviously, we love Willa to death and she's mature beyond her years, but I don't think she would have that same vision that we might have of what it was like growing up in the household. Well, that's interesting because one of the reasons I asked is because I noticed since you guys have come back from college that sometimes you engage in a little bit of light parenting <laughs> or reflection on our parenting of Willa, for example why does she have her phone out at the table? She's not supposed to have her phone out at the table. And like, how is she getting away with that when we didn't get away with that when we were her age? You guys aware that you do that sometimes with Willa? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, like we got to be clear in our dinner plate. Like there's no reason a dinner plate should be left on the table for as long as it is. Something to think about, something to work on. <laughs> Taking notes here so I can tighten up a little bit. I appreciate that. Do you think she's got it easier than you guys, by the way? I'm just curious to know whether a third child gets a pass. Also, definitely. <laughs> Okay, so let me start by just asking you guys to think back a little bit about growing up in our house. What would you describe as characteristics of 
our parenting, Maya, you also mentioned that like you've seen, you know, one of the benefits of leaving home is you, you get a sense for how other people were parented, you know, maybe in your work, you've both had work experiences or you get a sense for how other people parent. Would you say are the primary characteristics when you reflect back on the parenting that you received? And maybe Kaden, you want to go first on this one and feel free to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm going to for sure. I think it's hard to kind of pick out specific characteristics because I think it's, in my opinion, it's kind of more of like a methodology as opposed to like specific things that you're focused on as a parent. I think something that I know you have mentioned, like since we've kind of like exited the time where we were more focused on being parented is that like it always came from a place of love which i think is really important and no matter whether we like agreed with it or disagreed with it i don't think there's a piece of your parenting that i look back on now where i say like that was terrible and i really disagree with it and maybe that makes you happy maybe it doesn't i'm thinking thank god honestly But Maya's smiling, so I haven't passed yet. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it was always from a place of love, but it was never, we never had full autonomy. And I think that is probably good because um, I don't know where I would where I would have ended up if I had full autonomy as a 15-year-old. I think it would have been a bit bad news, um, even if I might have wanted it at the time. So Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to just come back to that phrase, which is what I would have wanted at the time. Sometimes different than what you think is beneficial to you looking back. But Maya, why don't, you, why don't you jump in and just what would you describe as like the characteristics of the parenting environment that you experienced from your perspective? I think the biggest thing that stands out to me now, and that might just be because it's something that my friends still joke about, so it's on my mind. But And that's not a negative thing, just because they're joking about it. <laughs> I appreciate that. But Something that we reference a lot is the united front of you and mom. There was no like in an argument, a lot of my friends, depending on the argument, like one parent would be the easy route. And I feel like you guys were always, you talked about it beforehand and you were on the same page, which made it super hard to work around. (laughs) Oh, good. Mostly Maya was trying to work around that. (laughs) That's something we still talk about. Like when me and my friends are on the same page about something, we'll, we'll say, oh, united front. And it's just, it makes it a lot easier to parent each other when we have a united front. So I feel like that's like the biggest thing in my like memory of the parenting. And then I think something that made it most atypical wasn't necessarily how we were parented, but the things that you guys found important. Like when we were leaving the house, it wasn't necessarily where are you going? What type of activities will be happening there? It was who's driving, how many people are in the car how many speeding citations do each of those seven people have? Did you bring your helmet to sit in the backseat of the car? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How much time have you spent on your phone today? Things like that, that I don't think other parents were so much focused on. Yeah. That's interesting. And I want to come back to the, are you wearing your helmet in the (laughs) backseat? I'm happy to tell that story. It's a fabulous story. You might as well then. You might as well. Okay. Well, this was back, this was my sophomore year. So my first year playing varsity soccer and every day, like this was started in preseason. So in August when I was what, how old was I sophomore year? 15, I guess. So I was getting offered rides by the seniors who I was playing in the back line with. So like, dad, you remember these guys like Greg and Mikey would drive me to practice. And I don't think they were allowed to for the first couple of weeks because mom was really nervous about male teenage drivers. And she would kind of print out a couple of papers before I would leave the house and, and drop them on the table and say, look at the numbers, look at the numbers. And I remember the first time mom let me drive in one of their cars and there were a bunch of them in there. And I like hopped in the back seat, and there were like four guys in the car. I think the first time they were just like, oh, you seem like you forgot your helmet. I know your mom would want you to have that. <laughs> and then there was one time where they actually like had a helmet 
and they had they had bubble wrapped it. I think this I think this <laughs> happened. They had they had bubble wrapped a helmet, and I just sat in the back seat, and the guy who was sitting passenger seat just tossed it back to me. It was funny. But. Well, that's interesting because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about the word strict, and whether you you may or may not know this, but a lot of people ask me because of my work. Well, first they say like, "Oh, would you want your kids to go to a school that uses your own technique?" I think sometimes your own techniques in your book, and I think sometimes they assume that the answer to that would be no, but the answer is yes. P.S. Like I often actually worked with teachers in your schools because I want you to have the best learning environment. But I think people would also maybe expect me to and Lisa to be really strict parents. And I would say that one of the things I believe is that strict is different from warm and caring, that you can be both at the same time. That certainly was one of my goals. But I guess I'm curious, would you guys describe us as strict parents? Maya? I would. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. No, but like you were saying, I don't think that strict is like a negative thing, but I would describe you as strict. I think it was predictable, if that makes sense, in mm-hmm. the way that you wouldn't just get mad at us randomly for things. But if you said, don't do X, and we did X, then, you know, you would be upset. And I think that like you would be strict about the expectations that you had set, but you would set the expectations before being strict. <laughs> I might have a slightly different interpretation of this, which is I think that you were strict like to a point. Mm-hmm. My opinion is you were strict enough early that by the time we got to the point where we started to make our own decisions about the things that we were doing and the actions that we were taking, you had already instilled the correct beliefs into us that you got to a point where you no longer had to be as strict. And I think there were still things that you chose to be strict about, like specific things, specifically like things where we were like things focused on our future and stuff like that. But I think that you were able to be a little bit more relaxed when we got to like the older teen years than maybe some other parents would if they hadn't started early instilling the the correct beliefs and the correct ideals. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I do think that like we were super lucky because you guys were both great kids. Thanks. Yeah. But you know, it's our job to also shape your behavior and set limits and things like that. I'm just curious to know, like a lot of people don't think of strict as a good thing. Do you think of strict as a good thing? And maybe, you know, we'll talk about this more at the end of the podcast, but interestingly, you guys are closer now to being parents of your own children. You know, within 10 years, you'll probably have your own kids. So that's closer in time to a lot of the parenting that we did with you. Do you think that you'll be strict? And if so, how will you define that? I think I will. Like, I know this is different when it's your own kids. I feel like it'll be harder to not be so lenient. Mm -hmm. But like when I'm working with kids, coaching them or at camps, I feel like I pride myself on a little bit of strictness. So I think I would like to think of myself as continuing with that. Though I think it will be harder to maintain when they're my own kids, to be honest. Wow. I think you have that (laughs) reputation as a soccer coach as being a pretty no-nonsense. Like, why are you strict as a coach? I just think, well, the environment for them, I think, is better. I mean, like Kane kind of touched on earlier, but like whether they know or not, it might be more fun for them in that very second to not have any expectations, but I feel like in the long run, it's better for them. I think it's funny. I think it's interesting that Maya is of the opinion that it will be harder to be strict with her own kids Mm -hmm. because I think that it will be easier to be strict with my own kids because you know as a parent that your strictness is coming from a place of like extreme love. Like you love your kids more than anything ever in the world. And there's like biological and psychological aspects to that as well. And I think that it would be harder probably, even if I wanted to be a little bit more lenient with my kids because I remembered my childhood and I want a specific relationship with my children, it will be harder for me to be lenient with my kids when I know that the strictness is what protects and prepares them for the future. That's super interesting. I think I would probably describe myself as a strict parent. I hope that I would be like a strict and extremely loving parent because that is how I feel. Adore you guys both immensely. 
but I think one of the challenges of being strict is that you also want your kids to tell you things. Like, I think one of the things that I was telling you this the other day, like the most important thing to me that I talked to mom about all the time was always want them to tell us things, right? If something went, if something happened, if they're worried about something, if something went wrong, I just always want there to be like honesty and is kind of the most important thing. Do you guys have thoughts about just a culture of honesty between parents and kids and how that develops and how you felt about it growing up. I think uh, maybe I'm known as the most honest child in the family. That's <laughs> a title that I, a self-proclaimed title or maybe a title that's been confirmed. I think very early on, I came to the conclusion that, that honesty was the expectation, but I also knew that the more honest I was in the long run, the more freedom I would have. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the reason that you wanted honesty was really like solely for my protection and not to like keep me restricted. Mm -hmm. So I think that I kind of just came to the conclusion that as long as I told you the truth and, and this is different because if you came to me about something, I would always tell you the truth. That's not to say that I wasn't selective about the things that I brought forward voluntarily, because I think it would be weird if I was like telling you everything that was happening in my life, whether it was mundane or serious. But I think I got to the point where I was like, if they come to me and ask me a question directly or if they want to know something and I know that they want to know it, like I will always be honest first because I just wanted to build that relationship. And I knew that it would be better for us, both better for our relationship in the long run, but also better for me in the long run. That makes me really happy to hear that. And I also think that because we knew that you were so honest that if we asked you, you would tell the truth that there were often times where we didn't have to ask you things or deliberately didn't ask you things. And I think that's really important because there are some things that as long as both sides kind of come to that conclusion together without knowing that like if you know that asking me something would put us in an awkward position and I know that I really don't want you to ask me that it almost like creates this balance where like there are some things that you ask about and there's some things that you don't and you know that the amount of things that you ask about is enough to the point where you will get honesty but not too much to the point where you're tarnishing that relationship of trust that you built not giving you sufficient privacy to like live your life yeah exactly my do you want to weigh in on honesty at all <laughs> there was a time by the way when Ka when Caden gave you a little talking to about like <laughs> sharing things with mom and I you were talking about this. I actually do not remember this conversation with Caden. That's pretty funny. <laughs> do you remember this? Are you kidding me? This was like prime time. Caden, from a place of maturity and leadership, trying to help his sister focus on being a little bit more honest with her parents because it would allow her to have the freedom that she wanted. Didn't have an impact on me, I guess. <laughs> I might describe, I, I think you were always very honest. I would say that like Caden was a, maybe a little bit more forthcoming, but he would volunteer more in front. And you, you would, we would withhold more. Oh yeah. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell you things, <laughs> I would say. Yes. And I think Caden's argument was if you volunteer a little bit more, your mom and dad will feel a higher level of comfort about what's happening and then they will manage you less and have fewer questions. I'll say this though, I do understand Maya coming from it at a little bit of a different angle. I know dad, we have been talking a little bit about the fact that I went through the teenage years as like the oldest son to parents who were just going through that for the first time. And Maya went through the teenage years as the oldest daughter, but the second child to go through the teenage years. And so I think the relationship between father and mother and son versus father and mother and daughter is a little bit different. And so Maya probably felt and Maya, maybe you can speak to this. You probably felt like there were some things that sharing would just make it harder for you. And though if I had shared the same things, I probably was of the belief that it would just be fine. Yeah, I think some of that's definitely true. This might not be how you felt, but I guess watching you go through some of the interactions with mom and dad, I guess 
I maybe picked up on it differently and maybe not how I should have, but I picked up on it as, oh gosh, they got mad at him for that. I'm never going to tell them about that. Um, <laughs> so Jesus. I feel like maybe that made me, made me less likely to share things. I'm not really sure, but I think it's interesting that you were older than me and had a different experience with it. Yeah. Let me shift a little bit here. Maya, you sometimes tell a funny story about a time when I think this is you were like a junior in high school and you were hanging out at the local party spot, which is like this outdoor place where the kids go on like Saturday night. It's kind of iconic in our town. And so mom and I knew you were there, which is great. Like you told us that you were going to go and you described to us what your behavior was going to be there. And like, you know, that there was going to be alcohol and how you were going to approach it. And then, so apparently sometime, sometime during the evening, a parent came, you know, walked down, let's say marched down and approached it. And it was an upset parent. And everyone said, Maya's dad is here. Maya's dad is here. There was actually a chant of some sort. Maya's dad. <laughs> Maya's dad chant broke right. out from the crowd. Anyway, it, it turned out that it, it wasn't, I just want to say, it wasn't me. It was a different Maya whose dad was there. But I think you told the story because I think in your mind, maybe it was so plausible that it could have been me. <laughs> it was like psychologically real as opposed to actually real. Oh, yeah. I feel like I kind of just accepted defeat <laughs> in that moment because I knew it probably was you. I remember being strangely calm because I was like, yes, that makes sense. He would be here. <laughs> but then I remember asking, what does he look like? Because I couldn't see him from there. And everybody said, he looks really cool. And I was like, we're in the clear. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but um, they said he's really short. And I was like, that's probably not my dad. But then the rest of the night, people just assumed that it was my dad because I did have a reputation of having a pretty strict dad. So for the rest of the night, every time I met somebody, they would say, I would say, I'm Maya. And they would say, oh, your dad came. So I had to, I had to work my way back from that rumor for a very long time. I always kind of congratulate myself for that story because... I had the reputation as being like a strict dad who would have done that, but actually I never would have done that to you and never would have walked down there. So I was like, you know, this probably reflects really, really well on me. <laughs> well, I was about to say that I would have never had that fear. And even if I, if there was someone with the same name and they were like, your dad's here, I would have been like, no, like my dad is not here. So I think it's interesting that Maya was like, that's on brand. Like dad's going to be here. <laughs> but like I, because in my opinion, you would have a conversation with me in the morning mm -hmm. before you would ever like come out in the night and like appear at a high school spot. I mean, it would be more awkward for you than it would be for me. Let's be, let's be realistic for sure. Yeah. No, I don't think you would really do it out of anger so much as curiosity. <laughs> I will say for the listeners who are unfamiliar with this location, it is about a hundred yards from our house. It's right in the woods behind our house. So it would make sense. It's practically our backyard for you to come and see what it's all about. You know what I mean? It's not like you're traveling across town to track me down. I wouldn't think you'd do that. But yeah, well, thank you. There was another time though, at another, another event where there was a man who came outside of his house and started just screaming at kids to get off his lawn at night. And people did think that was you ouch, ouch. for the following week or so. People were like, oh, your dad is screaming at people. And I was like, I really don't think it was. This makes me happy to like have a reputation for some, like for being relatively no nonsense but also like you're knowing that that wouldn't be me. But as I was sort of congratulating myself for this, I was thinking there's probably a flip side to the story, which is there are probably times that I'm not aware of where you guys were like, oh my God, my dad is so extra. And so I just wanted to offer you the opportunity to like, are there times where you were just like, you had to absolutely roll your eyes because you're like, why are my parents this way? Or specifically, why is my dad this way? So um, what is the flip side to my moral victory on the party spot incident? I mean, definitely, but it's coming up with specifics. It's hard. 
<laughs> so many. Yeah, I can't really think of anything specific. There must have been times where you're like, why are my parents so... Oh, I got one actually. I got one really good. Really good. Yeah. When I went to... Just remember wide, wide listener base on this podcast. Wide, wide listener base here. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It's, it's fine. It's fine. You're actually going to be proud of this one. Okay. When I went like right after, right after ball, right before my high school graduation, essentially senior prom, we rented this house in Vermont afterwards. And we just were on our way up there to have a fun weekend at the end of our senior year of high school. And, and I remember I was driving and I was driving three of my friends up there. So we were kind of on a specific timeline and I was like packed, ready to go. And I come down to the kitchen and I'm like, all right, like I'm heading out. I'll see you guys on Monday or whatnot. And dad, you go, oh, Actually, I had one thing that you need to do before you go. And you just like basically threw me a book and you were like, you got to read for an hour. I actually remember this. And I remember having to text my friends. We had agreed that you were going to read though. I think we had agreed. I, whether we had agreed or not, it's not. It's, it's kind of beside the point. But per Maya's point, we had agreed in advance. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Expectations, but then they're strict if you don't follow them. It's true. Like, Did we say you were going to read that weekend before the... We might have, but it was busy. It was a busy weekend. Okay, let's get there. Anyways, I had to text my friends and say, my dad is making me read for an hour before we go. And I didn't live that one down. It still gets brought up <laughs> on occasion. And I'm 22. It's tough. It's all right. I understand now. I would say there are a few things that still get brought up. I mean, this is your opportunity if you want to embarrass me, you know, like... Yeah, it's your one. Well, <laughs> phone contracts was a big one. Yeah. Wow, I totally forgot about phone contracts. I don't remember what it entailed. Well, it's interesting you mentioned... I loved being your guys. I'm still your parent, so I, I love being your parent. <laughs> but I loved... I really, really enjoyed being dad to you guys. And there were very few areas, even when like we disagreed about things where I didn't feel like, oh, this disagreement is fine and great because like we're learning what it takes to be an adult in the world and they're great kids and like all those things are true. But one of the few areas where I think that we argued consistently was about technology and about phones in particular. And you know, like I'm a grouch about technology and about cell phones for sure. And I'm just curious to know how do you guys feel about the role of technology in your lives? Did we, you know, mom and I were pretty strict about it. And in some ways, I think we feel sad because we also, I think we recognize that we had to give you, you know, cell phones and you were going to have social media and you couldn't be a normal kid without social media. But I think we also see to some degree the cost in your lives still a little bit to social media. I hope that doesn't bother you to hear me say it. I'm just, I'm curious to hear you reflect on, do we do phones and social media right? What's the right way to do it? How do you think you'll think about it with your own kids? I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I just had this conversation with my high school friends and we were talking about when we're parents, we were all very adamant that, oh, our kids are not going to have cell phones until they're like in high school, like no iPads. We're not going to be raising iPad kids. But I think it's, so much more complicated than that. I would love to say that I'm going to just stick to that. But I feel like it's so hard. It's easy looking back, but it's so hard when you are that seventh grader and all of your friends are making plans. And it's really hard to like feel socially accepted when you can't get in on that. So I don't really know what the right way to do it is. I don't know if there is a right way. And I also think that that's going to change so much in the next 10 years. I would say kids are just getting younger and younger when they get phones. I know eight-year-olds have phones. But I think that I agree with most of the expectations you guys set. Looking back, I just think when you're in that position of trying to like fit in socially in those teenage years, it's like really hard not to. And we were probably oblivious to how it was necessary and how important it was to you to connect with your friends. Yeah. Can I just tell before you go, kid, can I tell you guys a funny story, which is when you were you guys were like eight or something, I was like, Oh, social media is coming. 
I better learn how it works so that I understand it. So I got myself a Facebook account specifically so I'd understand how social media worked when you guys got to be teenagers. And of course, the ironic thing was that like, by the time you got to be teenagers, boy, like, it's so heavy. Right, <laughs> Facebook was like the tool for 40 year olds. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, Ken, what do you think about technology? I agree with you that I think technology was the area that we disagreed on the most. And I think the biggest thing for me was, and this is a tiny thing, which is funny, but having to put my phone outside of my room at night before I went to sleep, which to you was like, oh, perfect. He's going to like sleep more and like be healthier. And to me was like, I have to, as a 16 year old, even like 17 year old, because I think we did it until that late. I did it through high school. Until you left for college. And mom and I talked about, even when you came home from college, could we plausibly say your cell phone has to live in the kitchen when you go to bed at night? I think you tried it. And I think I was just like, okay, no. And I will say like through high school, I think it was like 9 p.m., maybe 10. And I will just say that Willa had her phone out at midnight the other day. It's very true. I'm just going to put it out there. It's very true. I think the important part about that, which is like difficult maybe for a parent in that situation to understand is like how to a teenager of that age, how awkward it is to have to say to someone who you're like mid conversation with, like flowing, like mm-hmm. no matter who it is. I have to put my cell phone away now. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. Sorry. Like my parents make me leave my phone outside my room. Yeah. And like the responses you get are sometimes like, oh, ah, like that's so funny. Or like, that's so crazy and weird. And you're like, oh, that's just my parents. Like, I don't know what to tell you. That's not to say that I fully disagree with the decision you made now. But I think that it would be impossible necessarily for you to understand what that was like for us, whether it was the right decision or not. I actually think it's really beneficial to do that. Like looking back and also like I actually recently just read something about like high level athletes and having their cell phone just entirely on a different floor than them and how much better their sleep is. But like that's I feel like now so much easier than when you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense looking back, but it was definitely something that I argued when I was younger and that I don't know if I'll be able to maintain with my own kids either because I know that it was hard. Yeah. We recognized at the time that there was a high social cost to you and that it's awkward to have to say those things. And I think we still felt like it was right. You know, looking back, like I I just want to acknowledge, like we fought about it some, you guys are pretty great about it. I understand your point. You know, I think this is one of the hardest things of parenting when you absolutely understand where your kids are coming from. And you also think, but I have to hold the line. Like, I get that it's painful. I get that it's awkward socially. I get that from your perspective, you really don't like it. And I think it's the right call and I'm going to hold the line because it was hard to do. Yeah, I don't think I minded, honestly, that as much as, like, once I had the phone, the rules about, like, putting it outside my room, I didn't mind that quite as much as I think there was a year or two before I had any phone when I was in, like, seventh grade where I remember it being hard because all my friends would play and they'd have to put mom in the group chat. And that's really a bummer. <laughs> it really right. changes that dynamic of the group chat to have somebody's mom. Or they'd text like her super last minute and be like, oh, we made plans. Does Maya want to call? Right, right. And I remember being mad during those times. But once I had one, I feel like that didn't bother me quite as much. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard because once you give your kids a cell phone and social media, you're beholden to the group norm, right? And you can't really shape what happens and what other people say. And, you know, like I remember, Caden, when you made the varsity as a 10th grader, right? Like 
some of the guys on the team sent around some, I would still say like, not just offensive stuff, but like things that like, I didn't want you to like be exposed to as a 10th grader. I don't even know, like, I just remember this really intensely, which is I wanted you to be able to communicate and connect with your peers. But like, then you, you accept the norms of the lowest common denominator of what people do on phones. See, I think this is really funny that you're mentioning this because like I remember that very specifically and actually like in a weird way, like very fondly because to me that was like like being added to that group chat, no matter what was in the group chat. Was important to you. It was really important to me. It was really important to me. And without it, I feel like I would have really struggled. And I think also you probably had a skewed view of like what I had seen at that point. Like yeah, maybe. Yeah. The halls of middle school are not clean, buddy. <laughs> it's not as, as dangerous as it was maybe for you. Right. But like by the time you get to high school, like you know what's up. And honestly, being able to be part of something like a team group chat, which is not always like the safest place for young eyes. And as a 10th grader to have the seniors include you in their group chat. Like, I get that that's a big deal. Yeah. I appreciate you not stepping in on that because those things are important. I think like you learn to make your own decisions on what you're sending in the group chat and you learn to make your own decisions on how you respond to things that are sent in a group chat like that. But it's being part of it. that's really important socially, no matter what happens in it. Yeah. It's such a challenging area. And it wasn't all bad. Okay. That's good. I'm glad. Something I was just thinking of that I thought was interesting. I don't really have a stance on this necessarily yet, but you guys used the phones pretty often as like, I don't want to say punishment, but punishment. Um, if you did something, it would be, give me your phone. First of all, hun, 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 hun. consequence. Consequence. That's the right word. That's the right word. Reminder. Learning experience. It would be, give me your phone. You're not getting it. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Learning opportunity. Right. Um, it would be, give me your phone. You're not getting it back until the morning, which I thought was an interesting consequence. I'm not sure how I feel about that one because it worked because obviously we didn't want it to be taken. But it also feels kind of strange to reinforce things that don't have to do at all with the phone, with taking away the phone and the social aspect of that. Right, right, right. That just popped in my mind as I was thinking about it. You see a lot online of like parents who are very focused on having the punishment match the crime, for lack of a better word. Well, I pretty much thought that the cell phones were always the source of the crime. So <laughs> Yeah, which was like, <laughs> like yeah. very wrong, like very incorrect. And I don't actually know what my opinion is on this, but I do think there's something to be said for like, if you do this and it's related to this, I will take this, right? Like yeah. if you do X, it's related to Y. I'm taking Y because it's related to this thing that you've done X, as opposed to like, this is your favorite thing. And because you did this bad, I'm taking your favorite thing no matter what. Yeah. Right. And now you can't talk to your friends for 10 hours because you didn't do X. Yeah. But I don't know what the better way to do it is. So I don't know. Maya, do you remember the, oh, I really need my phone to look something up real quick, please. I know I don't get it back <laughs> until tomorrow, but please, can I just have it back for like five minutes? I never and, did that. And you're that. just like ripping text messages to, the, to your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do that. Boys, I only got five. I'll meet you at the park in 10. Like, oh, we had a Google Doc, actually, for every time I got my phone taken, because it was so often. We had a Google Doc that was just like constantly flowing every time I got my phone taken. Wow. Um, I'd have to send them a little <laughs> Google alert, and we'd just go on the Google Doc just hours and hours that's really good see that might be like even like beyond where i was at like intellectually at that point yeah <laughs> kaden would have never have thought to try that i'm just saying i was like no phone <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so, I mean, the technology stuff is so challenging. I hope that we got it mostly right. There's no way we would have gotten it all right. It's super challenging, and I, I wish you guys luck because <laughs> it's only going to get harder with you and your kids. Yeah. But let's just let's just change topics a little bit because I, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about school a little bit because you both were and are very good students, and by very good students, I mean not just good grades, but like, um, <laughs> but I think like curious, and you love learning. You know, you know, like I think you're both in college now, and you love to take hard classes, you know, and like, and care more about taking hard and challenging classes than necessarily like how you do. And, you know, Caden, you were saying like, you, you're one of your few friends who didn't take guts and, you know, like basket weaving in, in school. And I think that you're, I'm only sort of bragging here, but like, I think your teachers would describe you as kids that they really liked having in class. And so this is going to, we're sort of going to shift here to like, you're thinking about your own parenting and maybe giving advice to parents. But what would you advise parents to do and not do to help their kids be successful in school? What do you think the right way to approach school is as a parent? Maya, maybe you want to jump in here. You probably struggled a little bit more with this. So. Okay. okay. <laughs> just kidding. For everyone listening, Maya was a far better and is a far better student than I am. So that's just me trying to get back to <laughs> I don't want to boost your ego too much. But I do think this is this is one area where I think you guys did do very well. I think you guys did less reward and less punishment than a lot of people I know. A lot of my friends at the end of each quarter or semester, they would get a big gift, like if they got on honor roll or if they got a 95 or above, they'd get an Apple Watch. And you were always like, that's the expectation. That's not really something to be rewarded. Not that it's not a really good thing you would encourage, but that was just the expectation. You should be getting that, you know? But at the same time, if we didn't, it wasn't really about the grades. And like, I wouldn't say that you were checking online every week, like some parents I know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you secretly were, but um, I don't think you ever really checked that because you trusted that we knew the expectations. And I think that was really helpful because when we were older in high school and now in college, obviously you're not there to like keep tabs on us. And it's just ingrained now that that's the expectation that I hold myself to. There's not going to be a punishment. There's not going to be a reward, but I just, I still want to do well. So yeah, I would say setting it as a standard that doesn't have to be rewarded or punished. But also like, I, I will say that we also tried to emphasize love of learning and, and just like enjoying school and sometimes enjoying challenge and be like, it's hard and that's a good thing. But like, I think we always tried to encourage you guys to take harder classes. Yeah. Like I'd rather have you take the hardest class and get a slightly lower grade. Ironically, I think that when you get bad grades, it's because you're in a boring class. You're more likely to get bad grades in a boring class. <laughs> I, I probably didn't tell you that, but that was my secret theory, which is take the hardest classes you can. You'll be engaged. You'll work hard. You'll do better. But I would always rather have you take a hard class. I don't think that was super secret, but yeah. Probably not. Jaden, what do you think about advice to parents about parenting around school? I think it's important to instill self-motivation I think that I kind of pretty early in high school got to the point where I was like, as long as you are interested in what you're going to class for, you can make it at least, like at the very least, doable. And at the best, like super interesting. And so I think that's really important. And I also think that like, yeah, like some parents were like, here's a hundred bucks. Like you did really well this quarter or whatnot. And I always appreciated the like walk that we would take around the neighborhood where you would like, just like tell me that you were really proud of how I was doing in school. And like, maybe that only happened once or twice, but just kidding. That was a joke, guys. That happened a lot. <laughs> and I think it, it, the best part about it was it was not always connected to the grades. I do think grades are really important. And I, and I actually like am really big on that, which is like, I had, have never had the best grades. 
but I still think that grades are really important. But those talks and those moments where you showed how proud you were of us were more correlated to like how hard we were working. Mm. And like, let's say I just finished a really hard paper that you had helped me with. And you said like, I'm really proud of how you did on that paper, no matter. And it was usually before the grade even came out. And you would be like, no matter how that paper goes, I'm really proud of, and you should be really proud, importantly, of the work that you did. So that was always more valuable to me than the $50 that some kids were getting. And hopefully that ends up being $50 more down the road. Yeah, I agree. To clarify, I was saying no reward. There was definitely things like that. I just meant no physical. Tangible world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can we transition again? Sports were a big part of both of your lives. And it was honestly like, I was like an immense pleasure for mom and I to watch you compete and play. And sport is also like a point of sometimes tension between parents and kids. And, and even if it's not like just watching parents on the sidelines, I'm often struck by, at least from my perspective, that I think the nicest way to say it is that a lot of parents would do sports parenting different than either I do or I would like to, the me that I imagine. And you don't have to make this about me and mom, but as athletes, what would you tell parents about the best way to be a parent of an athlete? What's good to do? What's good to avoid? Maybe I could start on this one because I know we kind of, maybe specifically me and you kind of went through a time where I basically was like, I don't want you to speak anymore at my games. This is when you were pretty young. In the moment, it was because I was really angry because you were like, and I know you're trying to motivate me from the sidelines, but in my eyes, it was like, why is he yelling at me when I'm just trying to play? And to your credit, like you never said a word after I said that. And I think that there's definitely a balance to it. But I think at the end of the day, like it's not your job as a parent to push your kid like if your kid wants to be good, they will end up doing it on their own, whether they end up doing it later or they end up doing it earlier or they find someone else. And I think this is actually really important. It's important to have somebody else doing some of the motivating for sports. Like mm. like you want to have a really good coach. Like Steve Cavino was an unbelievable coach to me. And he was the person that motivated me to like want to be very good as opposed to you who I was like, I would like to be good so that my dad can see me play well, but I don't need my dad to be the motivating factor. And I think it's actually better when you're not and you can just be supportive of your kid and know that they're getting that motivation from elsewhere and that that's okay. I agree. But I think it's important to push commitment, not performance, if you're going to push something. And I think there needs to be a little bit of push, to be honest. I don't think that needs to be if you score a goal, you get new cleats, or if you don't score, you don't. I don't think that's the type of push, but I do think there should be like, in terms of you signed up for this, you made a commitment, you should go to practice tonight. There were definitely nights in my club years I did not feel like going to practice. And you were definitely the motivating factor there in terms of like, you should go, right? You made this commitment to your team, to yourself. I wouldn't say you ever pushed me during the games like Hayden was talking about, but you definitely pushed me there to make that commitment. And now I feel like that's like one of my biggest strengths is like I pride myself on like once I make a commitment, like my hard work. So I feel like that was definitely instilled in me young. And I think that's super important to have something that is consistent. I think also, Maya, to your credit, you've probably grown into that better than I have. I think you're like the commitment that I see you putting in now for college soccer is like, I'm impressed by it because I think that your first year of college is not always the year where you like lock down on your commitment and lock down on your like self-control. And I think it's really impressive that you've done that because I don't think that I was in the same position my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. I think it probably that summer after senior year of high school probably like cost me my chance of playing college soccer to some extent. 
And so I think that it's cool that you've kind of found that and that you're really motivated to do that because you'll grow in your time in college. And I can give you a bunch of college advice, Maya, and some of it will be useful and some of it won't be. <laughs> but your freshman year is not always your most mature year. Right. And it was pretty impressive to see you uh, come home from that and be like, I'm really motivated to do this and that. So nice work, pal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Um, but yeah, I do think that like growing up in an environment where commitment was super important like helped me keep doing that. And there were definitely times where I didn't love the sport as much as I do now, but it wouldn't have given me the opportunity to continue loving it at the age of 20. If you were like, ah, you don't feel like going, don't go when I was 15. You know, I never would have gotten to a place where I still love the sport. Yeah. I'll actually add one thing on this that I've definitely like thought about over the years, which is, I think that And I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing from a parenting perspective. I think that I will push my kids to play a couple more sports. For those of you that don't know, like Maya and I played soccer pretty much exclusively from the time where we were fourth or fifth grade all the way through the end of high school. It worked out really well for Maya. She was playing college soccer. It didn't work out as well for me. And I kind of wish now that I had like played lacrosse or like kicked for the football team or like done something else that maybe would have given me an opportunity in the future. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy my time playing soccer because I loved it and I got a ton out of it. But I think I will push my kids probably to be a little bit more diverse in their sports. One, because I think it's better for them, better for their bodies overall. And two, because I think you want to instill in them that like sports are really important, but they're not everything. And you have time to play multiple sports and you don't want to sacrifice all of your time into one thing that like in the blink of an eye could like disappear. I agree that I think I'll do the same with the definitely push them to try out a few sports and hopefully stick with a few of them. But choosing two or maybe three sports to do consistently for five years is different than doing a year of one sport, a year of another, six months of another, try out another for a month. I don't think that's the same at all. Like I think having sticking to one thing for like my 20 years, I think was so important for me, like beyond soccer. That's what I mean as well. Like I would like my kid to play, for example, a fall sport and a spring sport every year that they're in middle school and high school, for example. This is fascinating. I have a thousand things I want to say, but we're tight on time. So I just want to ask you, I, th- I think I alluded to this, which is you're in your 20s now. So you're actually closer to a lot of the decisions that you'll have to make with, you know, assuming that you guys have kids with your kids than to like the decisions that we made. I'm just curious to hear you talk a little bit about what do you think you'll try to do? How do you think you'll think about yourself as a parent? There's also a larger question of, do you think people generally copy what their parents do? Do you think people like do the opposite of what their parents do? How do you think about your own parenting going forward? By the way, hopefully you will enjoy it as much as mom and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of research that parenting technique and parenting strategy is hereditary to some extent and genetically based. And I think that's definitely true. But I think that the reason you see so much variation in parenting technique across generations oftentimes is because people put in a consistent and calculated effort to change their parenting based on what their parents do. I don't see myself doing that. Honestly, I think you and mom parented us really, really well. And I will definitely be like taking a lot of what you have done and changing it to make my own personal parenting style, but I definitely don't see myself saying like, I'm parenting completely differently from my parents because I disagreed. Like, honestly, I'm at a point now, I'm 22, like I agree with just about everything that you did as a parent. But I do think it's important to have your own individual parenting style, no matter how much you get from your parents and focus on like 
taking what you experienced as a child and using it to make yourself the best parent. Because I do think that parenting is like the most important job that you can have. And that there's definitely a balance between your relationship with your kids and your preparation of your kids for the future. I think that's maybe one of the biggest challenges, which is you want to have a great relationship. You want to express that you love your kids. You want to make them happy. And yet you're also supposed to be, you know, we're also supposed to be preparing them to be successful. And those sort of, there are sometimes they're like, I just remember there are things you want to say yes to that you say no anyway. My, what about you? What do you, what do you think about when you look forward? Other than the fact that you're collecting, you know, thrift store baby clothes already. I don't know if you want to share that, that detail. <laughs> well, now you basically shared it for me. <laughs> Sorry, apologies. We can, we can cut it. We can cut it from there. <laughs> That's a rough one. Might have to get an NDA in there at some point. <laughs> Just clarification, I have no plans on having children in the next 10 years. But yeah, I think I agree with Caden. I think most like looking back on your parenting, I think it'll mostly be in a positive way. But I also think it's just so hard to tell like what kind of parent I'm going to be. There's so many things I'd love to put my foot down right now and say I'm going to be like that. But I just think like, like you said, when I love my kids, I feel like it's going to be so much harder and with that, I actually kind of want to flip this question on you. Oh, wow. Did not see that coming. And ask, when you were 20, do you think that you have become the parent that you thought you would be? Wow. Like when you were 20, did you think you would be different? Or do you think you held true to what you thought? If you have an answer, I don't know. Yeah, that is a fascinating question. First of all, I think, I, I think I'm lucky in that mom is a really intentional parent who brings a whole lot of experiences and values to parenting that, that were new to me. And she caused me to be a better, more attentive parent. And so honestly did running schools. And I think I learned a lot about interacting with young people. And I also think, you know, that like, I went through a lot of like incredibly difficult experiences running schools. And so like, sometimes there are things that like, I think didn't rattle me because of, I've been in a fair number of challenging situations. So I think that there were a lot of experiences between 20 and 30 that really shaped my parenting more than I would have guessed. And I think that I was not as aware of and intentional about thinking about parenting as you guys probably are. But I do know that when right before we had Caden, you know, Caden was our first, I said to mom, I just don't know that I'm ever going to be the kind of dad who comes home from work and gets down on the floor and plays with my kids that, you know, like I, I like to, I need a minute to decompress when I come home from work. And mom used to always remind me of that because it would be ironically be the first thing that I do when I come home from work would be to like get down on the floor and play with you guys. So, Hey, hold it together over there, buddy. We only got a couple minutes. <laughs> it's not getting emotional just yet. I'm actually pretty proud of myself. I haven't, I haven't gotten choked up once on this call. So I think you guys are much more aware of what parenting will entail than I was at 20. I think it was pretty clueless. And I probably imagined like some sunlit meadow where I'd be skipping through with my kids and there would never be challenging, you know, situations and that I would just let them figure it all out. And I think that I came to realize that it's not quite that simple. And I'm not even sure what would have been in my head at age 20. So I think you guys are way, ahead, way, 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 way ahead of where I was at your age. In a lot of ways, let's just say. You have no idea. <laughs> One of my parenting strategies has been to hide from you, to hide the ball from you on like how much better adjusted and how much more socially adept and interesting and funny you guys are than I was at your age. So hopefully there are things you never find out. <laughs> Anyway, I just want to thank you guys. It's been an incredibly fascinating conversation. I think you were kind to me. I do appreciate that a little bit, but I also think you were pretty honest. And 
I learned a lot. It was great to hear about it through your perspective. And I know that you're going to be great parents. Thanks so much for having us, Dad. This was actually really fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope we didn't embarrass you too much. And if the people want some bonus features, I'm sure we can provide. Yeah, we can have some outtakes afterwards where you like share the, the bagel The bagel <laughs> story did not make the cut. I think that's kind of shocking. I have a few. I have a few that I can't believe I didn't bring I'm surprised up, so. you don't. I'm just looking at you like, do you have notes there of like embarrassing stories to tell about Dad? Because I'm going to have to... Think. Maybe we'll have an episode two where you can be like, you know, payback time. <laughs> Parenting part two, payback. Yeah, the real stuff. I'm joking. <laughs> Sweat the Technique is a production of the Branch Media Podcast Network. You could follow all of the Branch's podcasts at, at the Branch Media on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you could check out our website at thebranchmedia.org. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, and subscribe to the show so that you can join us every Wednesday for more Sweat the Technique.